it's good to see everyone again, and we're still in 1 Timothy, and um, we're going to begin reading in, in verse 12, even though we're going to be looking at verses 15 and 16. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. This is an extraordinarily important passage, and uh, we're going to be going through it, but I can assure you that um, even most good men in the ministry do not treat this as seriously as they ought to. And oftentimes it's simply because being good men, they're so busy, they're so busy. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll begin. Father, I pray that you would help us, that the equipment would function fine, but more importantly, Lord, that, uh, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, uh, I am such a fallible, instrument but i pray dear god please for the sake of your son for the sake of his ministers dear god please help us in this in this text and help us that it would be applied by the holy spirit to our hearts and minds and truly have an impact upon us in jesus name amen now Everything that he's going to say in verses 15 about taking pains with these things, being absorbed in these things, verse 16, paying close attention to yourself and your teaching, it all goes back to, of course, all the admonitions that we've had so far for a minister of Christ, but especially what we find in verses 12 through 14. And so... Let's just review this quickly. First of all, in verse 12, he's dealing with character. So let's apply what we see in, in 15 and 16. Take pains with your character. Be absorbed in developing your character. Pay close attention to your character. Then he goes on and in verse 13, and 14, it's the ministry of the scriptures, the ministry of proclamation. So again, take pains with your ministry of knowing the word of God and proclaiming it. Be absorbed in this activity of knowing the word of God and proclaiming it. Pay close attention to your teaching. Now, we all know that Paul as a Jew, but especially Paul, even in the, the Greek, his letters. He is a man of repetition. He is not afraid of being accused of, of being redundant. 
He will repeat himself and repeat himself. And when he does, it is because he is trying to emphasize something. Maybe he knows that we don't have finely tuned ears to hear. Now, I want, I want to share with you, uh, before we get into this text, I, I want you to hold the, your place in 1 Timothy, and I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4, and look at verse 11. And he, that is Jesus, gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, the apostles and prophets have done their job. They've laid the groundwork. They've laid the foundation. And uh, we have their word, not in a certain location where a, an apostle might be living, but we have their word now uh, globally in the scriptures. So that leaves us with evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now I want you to see something, and I want you to know that I'm not exaggerating, number one, and number two, you're probably not taking me as seriously as you ought to in what I'm about to say. Very important. Why is he given evangelists, pastors, and teachers to the church? Why? For the building up of the church. Does that, is that said anywhere else in Scripture? In Scripture, we see that members are to uh, mutually edify one another. But here we have something very unusual. The church is built up through proclaimers, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So what does that mean? It means this. Where the church is weak, it's either because we lack sufficient number of evangelists, pastors, and teachers, or the church is weak because the evangelists, pastors, and teachers are weak. Now, this is not just for what we would call home missions for work in the United States or Canada or some pastoral ministry. This applies also on the mission field. I think if, if it was calculated how few missionaries are actually men of the word who spend their life studying, praying and preaching, I think we would be um, discouraged in an extraordinary manner. When we look at how little the men who are called to these ministries, evangelist, pastor and teacher, how little they actually spend, how little time they spend in these ministries, I think we would see clearly why the church is so weak. Now, I'm not talking about apostates. I'm not talking about liberal men who don't believe the Bible. I'm talking about men who are genuinely called of God, men who genuinely believe the Bible's the word of God. Men sincerely called, and yet they do not take seriously the the, the, the ministry that they have. And so many men who are involved in the proclamation of the world, word are actually functioning as deacons. So many men in the ministry. That's why I always tell people, if I were to go out and, and plant a church, everyone talks about, well, you got to raise up elders. Yes, you do. You got to raise up deacons. As a matter of fact, if I had a church that was able to do it, if I was a pastor, 
uh, I would have a full-time deacon on staff. I wouldn't call him a pastor of administration. That's the silliest thing you could ever say. But a deacon who would organize and lead an entire team of deacons to take all the weight off of the ministers of the word so that they could spend their entire day in study, prayer and proclamation. Proclaiming the word of God in the pulpit, proclaiming the word of God in the classroom, proclaiming the word of God house to house, proclaiming the word of God in the street, proclaiming the word of God behind the counselor's desk. But they would be proclaimers. And this is this is, you know, I just almost want to just stop the video, start it again and say the exact same thing like a hundred times, because you have to take me seriously on this. And then when you look around the world and you see men that have been truly used of God in the pulpit. You'll see that they they do exactly like I'm saying. They've devoted themselves to the word. And we see that, don't we, in the book of Acts? I've gone to that so many times, chapter six in the book of Acts, that um, part of when Israel was exiled, one of the reasons is not caring for widows. And so the care of widows, the, the apostles knew that that was an extraordinarily important endeavor. It had to be done or God would discipline the church. And yet they turned it over to other men. They didn't take it upon themselves. They turned it over to other men. And I believe that was the foundation for what we call deacons today. So that they could devote themselves to the ministry of the word so that they could devote themselves to prayer. And, and you've got you've not only got to believe this as a young minister, you've got to teach your church this. Because what you have to understand, not even the the voices in the church can dictate what a pastor is supposed to do. The commands and the examples of the New Testament dictate what a pastor is supposed to do. And that's why so many people, I believe, who are actually in the pastorate and are good men are confused. Because if you told them that they needed to study and pray and proclaim all day, they wouldn't like it. Because they're people persons and they would more they would like to be out doing activities and, and maybe they should just be deacons or just good men in the church. Laymen. The church needs this kind of man. It's the most important kind of man, and it's the kind of man the church by and large does not have. We have busy men. Involved and engaged in all sorts of activities. When the church itself should build a shelter around its pastor so that its pastors can do this thing. You say, well, what about deacons meetings? Pastors have to go to deacons meetings. Yes, but you go in there to open the word of God when there's need for instruction in the word. You don't go in there to do accounting. See, it's teaching and training of men. And so if we look back at 12 through 14, we see so clearly, first of all, verse 12, that devoting ourselves to our Christ-like character, to cultivating a Christ-like character. Now, let me give you a rhetorical question. How many hours a week do you do that? 
Now, this is what you're commanded. How many hours do you do what you're commanded? That you are cultivating a, a, to be an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. You're cultivating those virtues so that you can be an example of those in the church, along with all the other Christ-like virtues. How much time every week is devoted to that? Then number two, the public reading of scripture to exhortation and teaching. I know ministers who, who proclaim the word once a week. And it's not because they, they don't love the word. It's just there's a wrong understanding in the church of what ought to be going on here. He ought to be a Bible preaching, speaking machine. <laughs> kind of like what they said about Bunyan, you know, you cut him and he bleed the Bible. But to do that requires hours and hours a day. Now he goes on. And after he talks about the public reading, he says, not neglecting your spiritual gift, which was a gift. It was bestowed upon you. OK, and that's a gift by the sovereign spirit. And it happened at a, at a certain time in Timothy's life when during his possibly his ordination, uh, it was confirmed by prophecy. It was confirmed by the laying on of hands. Here we have, you know, a spiritual gift. It was obviously the gift of, of the word, of proclaiming the word, of ministering. It, it, can there be any greater gift given to a man? Can there be any greater gift given to a man? No, no. Is there, more, is there a more important task in this world? I mean, do the prime minister and the president and the king of England have a more important task than the meekest proclaimer of God's word? No, they do not. Do they have a more difficult task? No, they do not. Do the, does the destiny, eternal destiny of souls have anything to do with what they're doing? Not really. Possibly in an indirect way, but with you a direct way. So you've got to think about this. As young ministers, you need to set the course early. There's going to be all kinds of little foxes in your life. They're not going to look like big, big wolves, but they're going to be little foxes and they're going to destroy the vineyard. It's like when someone uh, receives a dowry or an inheritance. The first thing that that I would tell someone to do that has received a large and unusual sum of money, the first thing I would say is make a commitment not to nickel and dime that money away. A large amount of money comes into in, in most cases never comes into someone's life. But when it does, they need to realize this is an unusual matter. And if I'm not careful, I will nickel and dime it away. You know, $100 here, $20 there, on and on and on until in the end, in six months, you have half what you started with and you can't even tell what you spent it on. It needs to be used for something substantial. In the same way, a substantial gift needs to be used in a substantial manner. So if you if you enjoy being busy, then then become a deacon. 
If you enjoy running around all the time, become a deacon. Some people say that's what the verb means, to kick up dust, to run around. But if you're a minister of the word, then be absorbed in that. Extremely important. Now, uh, let's go on and let's look at verse uh, 15. Paul says, first of all, with regard to the things we've talked about, so it would be your character and your ministry of proclamation, which includes, of course, the study of God's word and prayer. He says, take pains with these things. Now, the Greek word here means to care for, to study them, to think about them, to be resolved, to have them in your mind. I mean, it's a one track mind. It's a one track mind. Character and the word. Character and the word. Mounts uh, defines the word this way, to care for to bestow careful thought upon, to give painful attention to, to be earnest in these things. If someone looked at you, would they say that you are earnest in developing a Christ-like character and you are earnest in knowing the word of God and proclaiming it? Allow uh, Anita, they give a definition to keep on giving serious consideration to something. And, and brothers, listen to me. If you do, people will notice it. It won't be something hidden. I know a great preacher. I won't, I won't mention his name. Some of you may know him. Most of you probably don't. But nonetheless, he's a great preacher. And uh, I always hear about him that he's something of a strange bird. <laughs> that he keeps to himself quite a bit. <clears throat> when you hear him preach, you understand why. He figures that the greatest thing he can do for God's people is not be a socialite. And I've heard that his personality isn't even that great. But the greatest thing he can do is bring forth God's word to God's people. So. <clears throat> um, the NIV translates it, be diligent. ESV very simply says, practice, practice these things. Practice them. And I guarantee you something. Someone who doesn't have half your gifts in proclamation, if he will take this admonition seriously, he will far surpass you quickly. Far surpass you quickly. I know men with great minds that in the pulpit and in proclamation, they can barely make themselves understood. Or they understand things as though they've learned it mathematically or by rote or in a book, but it hasn't gone deep into their soul because they're so smart that their brain catches it like that, but it never makes it into the inner man, never transforms. Say, Brother Paul, you're being a little hard today. Yes, I am, because I don't want you guys to make the mistake that is so often made. So he says, take pains with these things. And then he goes on and, and look what else he says here. He, in, in my translation, in the New American Standard, it's be absorbed in them. But literally it's be in them, be in these things. The NIV has, 
You know, wholly give yourself to these things. Give yourself to these things wholly in your complete person. Now, let's say that I have a flat table in front of me. And because of uh, the properties of water, gravity and everything else, if you spill a small amount of water on that table, it'll make a puddle about this big, but it'll stay in one place unless that table has some sort of incline to it. It'll just say that, see, stay right there in the middle of the table and everyone can see it. So what do we do? Well, we bring a towel, preferably of cotton, very absorbent. And what do we do? We put the towel over the water and then we lift the towel up. And what do we say? Where's the water? Where did the water go? And the answer? Well, it's in the towel. It's in the towel. That's what they ought to say about you. Where did the preacher go? He's in his study. And he's not looking at social media. He's looking at the word of God. He's not writing silly little blogs like countless other young men. Not writing memes, not trying to create a brand for himself. If his preaching and teaching and wisdom is known in the public, it's only because the sermons he's preached to his church have somehow been recorded. Because he doesn't preach to the globe, he doesn't preach to the computer, he preaches to his people. That's one of the things that over the many years now that I've noticed about Dr. MacArthur. You know, I'm sure there are some exceptions somewhere, but basically everything he's ever done has been the result of the sermons that he preached to his church because his church needed it. He wasn't trying to build some global ministry. He wasn't trying to make his name known or create a brand for himself. He preached to his church. And that's the same thing that I would tell you. Don't be absorbed in trying to change the world because all your activity will not change the world. Be absorbed in being a man of God with regard to knowing God, knowing his word, being a man of prayer, being able to 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 preach the word of God and then preach to the people that God has given you, not to the Internet. And if you do, though, preach to those people and they are being fed and they are being edified, then yes, other people will be too. But forget about all this other stuff. I mean, I see it. I even see some young men that I believe are are called of God and they have a message, but they are too preoccupied with making a name for themselves. And I can assure you, you don't want to do that because with it comes a lot of heartache. A lot of criticism. So he says, be absorbed in these things. I mean, just go down through the line. You can look at at John MacArthur. You can look at Stephen Lawson. You can look at Suhel Michelin. You can look at at Spurgeon. You can look at Martin Lloyd-Jones. You just go down through the line. They were absorbed in knowing God's word to proclaim God's word. They were absorbed in it. And you should be too. You should be too. Stop this foolishness. You're a man of one book. The only reason you read another book 
is because it might help you understand the book. But be very, 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 very careful of a lot of books. Because a parrot can say some pretty profound things, but he doesn't understand any of them. I find that understanding can be aided by books outside the Bible, but there is no replacement for the Bible. So he says, be absorbed in them. Now, I want you to notice here that both of these commands take pains with them, be in them or be absorbed in them. Both of them, both of these commands are present tense imperatives. And you know what that means? It's a, it's a continuous, ongoing action. Brethren, I have seen so many people in the secular world that they never read a book after college. So many ministers, they think I've, I've done my stuff. I'm prepared. I've graduated from seminary. Listen, I have a deep appreciation for good seminaries. I have a great disdain for bad ones. And there are a lot of bad ones. But I have a deep appreciation for good seminaries and Bible colleges. But what I want you to know is this, the best seminary in the world cannot prepare you for the ministry. And when you demand that of a seminary, well, you're asking something they can't give. You say, well, what do you mean? A seminary at the end of three years or four years or six years or however long you stay. It can't give you everything you need. What it can do is this teach you the tools you need so that you can spend the rest of your life preparing. Teach you hermeneutics, teach you how to uh, read with discernment other books, teach you how to think in a non-contradictory manner, teach you about church history so you don't repeat its mistakes. Teach you how to study the Bible and then you spend the rest of your life preparing. No one is prepared. The things I have to deal with right now at 61 years old, when I was 26, I would not have been prepared to deal with them. And if I live long enough, there will be other things come my way that if I do not have greater maturity than I have right now, I am in trouble. And maturity means greater reliance upon God's word and God's faithfulness in prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. So. Both of these are present tense commands and they denote continuous action, continuous action. Now, what I'm going to do is that we're going to we're going to stop right there. It's 27 minutes. I want this just to stay with you. Um, I, I want it to be in your heart. I want you to think about what I've said. Don't just listen without allowing it to go in you and make major changes. Because I'm going to tell you something, there are some major changes that need to be made. If I was talking to centerline evangelicals right now, I would tell them there are major changes that need to be made in the way ministers of Christ deal with uh, their calling. If I'm talking to reform guys, it's the exact same thing. I don't care what side of the line you're on. If you're truly Christian and you're truly a man of God, you have got to do what the old men did. And they spent time, hours in the word of God, and they spent time in prayer. 
And they didn't have all these little foxes running around. Now, I'll give you this. You're not a worse generation because every generation has come out of Adam. And every child of God has been born again by the spirit of God. But I will tell you something. You have some challenges unlike anything I've ever seen. The devil has seen fit to whittle away at man, his soul, his mind. To fill us with uh, literally a 24 hour circus opportunities for your mind to go everywhere. I think back at men like Jonathan Edwards and others who all they had was a candle and a Bible. I saw some correspondence once between uh, Edwards and I believe a minister in England, and he waited something like six months, a year. I, I don't remember exactly how long, just for two books. But I think that was their strength. They had the Bible. The Bible. Now, if you know Greek and Hebrew, that is wonderful. And, and I would uh, I would uh, encourage you to go farther into that. But I want to tell you something. Someone who just has their English translation. And they study that book all the time will do better than the Greek and Hebrew scholar that studies it little. Now, get both if you can. But my point is, be men of the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, and I pray, dear God. I pray, dear God, please. Please take these young men. They are so far beyond where I was at their age, but oh God, take them farther. I don't want them, Lord, to backtrack or have to make loops or repace their their steps. Put a godly fear in their heart, Lord, to study your word and to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.